Well, good morning. Welcome to Dorisville Baptist Church. Are you glad to be here today? You may have figured out already that we are beginning a series on the book of Jonah. For the next four weeks, we're going to be looking at an incredible story from God's Word. If you want to go and take your Bible, please, and turn there, I'd be very appreciative of that. My wife said it best, probably, when we think about Jonah, we think about the whale, the big fish, for all you theologians, the big fish that God prepared. That's really all we get. But in the story of Jonah, we see some incredible lessons about being a people of God. And we're going to look at that specifically today. I really hope, I really hope, I'm not sure, we have different videos picked out for every week. I'm not sure we need to see that one again because it really makes it so clear that each one of us, now listen carefully, each one of us who are God followers, to some degree, is a Jonah. We are Jonahs. I am a Jonah, and you are Jonah. And that is crucial if you're going to glean anything from the Word of God today, next week, the next week, or the next week. Today we're going to talk about wrong way Jonah. Next week we're going to talk about deep weeds. The third week we're going to talk about turn or burn. And finally, last week we're going to talk about mad about grace. But today, probably the part that Jonah, besides the great fish, is famous for is the fact that he ran away from God. So we want to talk about wrong way Jonah. Now, if I were to mention a name to you, some of you, some of you are more well, my age and probably about 10 years younger and up, you may, if you're a sports fan, you know this word, this name, Roy Regals. Anybody know Roy Regals? Okay, how about wrong way Roy? Any more? Okay. Here's what Wrong Way Roy is famous for. Football for all times. How about the most famous case of misdirection in the history of football? Wrong Way Roy Regals. Retrieves a fumble, then rockets 60 yards to the end zone. Roy, great play, wrong way. Wrong Way Roy played in the Rose Bowl January 1st, 1929. He was playing for the California Bears against the Georgia Tech Hornets. And during that game, in the first half, uh, Georgia Tech fumbled the ball. Roy picks it up and gets confused and runs in the opposite direction. Runs 69 yards, I believe it was, all the way almost to the other end of the field. He was tackled by his own man on the one-yard line. And then, unfortunately, the story goes, they went ahead and scored. And uh, Georgia Tech won that game 8-7. to seven. And Roy was devastated because he had gone the wrong way. But you know what? A lot of us, when it comes to God, end up going the wrong way. Jonah went the wrong way. We are Jonah. You are Jonah. We often go the wrong way. And today we want to look at this incredible story. And we're going to kick it off with one of the most familiar parts of the story. And then I want to show you five ways. Say five. Five ways. If you're not a note-taker today, I want to encourage you to do that. Five ways where you might know that you just might be going the wrong way. So we begin today with Jonah in chapter 1. Jonah in chapter 1. We're going to look and see, are we going the wrong way? The Bible says in verse number 1 of Jonah chapter 1, the Bible says, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai. So this is huge now. Jonah was a prophet. He was a preacher, if you will. God would use men to speak to countries and to, and to kings. And Jonah was a prophet of Yahweh, of, of the true God. 
Now, he's only mentioned twice in the Bible. Let me get my reference right. 2 Kings 14.25 is the other one. And during the reign of King Jeroboam, Jonah was used by God to deliver good news. He went to Jeroboam and said, you're really not that good of a king, but God has chosen to allow you to conquer much land. And so, sure enough, King Jeroboam went to war and much land was, was attained through that, that prophecy and through Jeroboam. And he became really a national hero. The other time that Jonah is mentioned, we get a whole book about this guy named Jonah. And here we read the rest of the words. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Get up. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because their wickedness has confronted me. So God tells the first job is to go to a king and say, I've got really good news for you. You're going to go to war and you're going to conquer vast lands. And everybody went, yay, Jonah. This time is different. This time is hard. This time it's harder. And the deal is this. Nineveh was a capital of the nation of Assyria. Assyria was the arch enemies of Israel. And be honest with you, a lot of other people. If there was a brutal and treacherous people, it was the Assyrians. They were known for their, for their brutality and their torture when they go to war, for their psychological abuse of, of people. There's a very good, oppor- there's a very good possibility that, that Jonah had seen firsthand the acts of the Assyrians. Some theologians certainly believe, given the proximity of Jonah's hometown, that they were probably victims of Assyrian raids to come in. He perhaps saw a siege set against his own city. Perhaps saw people he knew murdered by the Assyrians. Perhaps even some of his family was murdered by the Assyrians. So so here we have Nineveh, and Nineveh represents the enemy. So this job is hard because God has sent him not to a, a friendly king, but to an enemy. And he says, I want you to go and preach against them. That's difficult. Would you say amen to that? That's difficult when God sends us to the enemy and tells us to say, you're the enemy and God's going to get you. That's hard. But that is not the reason why Nineveh ran. Or excuse me, why Jonah ran. The reason Jonah ran was because he hated the Ninevites. He was very much aware of what the Ninevites had done, as I mentioned earlier. And he hated them. And so he did not want to go and speak the word of God to them. And you're going, but wait a minute. He's bringing judgment. I mean, read it again to what it says right there. That go preach against it because the wickedness has, their wickedness has confronted me. I mean, Dwayne, isn't that what he would want? God, a little bit of fire. Come on. How many of y'all pray for a little fire and brimstone? Come on now. You, you said, God, get them. God, get them. See? But he knew this. He knew that, that God might relent. He knew that God might extend grace. To his enemy. And the thought that God would let these evil people, if they repented, live, he just couldn't handle it. Okay, I would like someone to sit with these girls right here, please, okay? All right. Ladies, we're going to hold you still, okay? I don't normally do that, folks, if you're a guest, but I think we need that today. All right? We need a little help. All right? So, so we have this situation then where God might extend mercy and grace, and, and, and Jonah couldn't put up with that. 
You know, it would be like this. Let me put it in perspective for you. Now, now that generation's getting thinner and thinner. But after Pearl Harbor, December 7th, 1941, people hated the Japanese. And, and perhaps, no, no, they had a right to. Because of the, the 3,000 men that were killed in an unprovoked surprise attack on that day. And so Japanese really feared for their lives in America. Now imagine a preacher standing up on December the 8th or next week, December the 14th, and say, we need to send missionaries to Japan. People look at him like, are you crazy? These are the people that we hate. That's the situation with Nineveh. More recently is, is 9-11. After we, we knew the, the, the radical portion of the Muslim, Muslim nation was a warring nation, but after over, you know, right, right at 3,000 people died in the attack on the Twin Towers, it was very difficult. Every Muslim was looked as suspect. Every Muslim, because of their faith and their nationality, was guilty by association. It was very difficult, if you remember right, for pastors to say, we need to pray for the Muslim people because not all of them were radical. We need some missionaries. That was very radical. Even to this day, there are people who have a difficult time saying, why would we evangelize the Muslim nations? I'll tell you why. Because Jesus died for them. Because Jesus died for them. So that is the setup for Nineveh. That's the setup why Jonah does what he does. He hates the Ninevites, and he's afraid that God is going to send grace. Now, let me ask you a question. Who is it in your life? Ma'am? Did your previous husband beat you? Mentally abuse you? And therefore, you have a difficult time with men? I hate to even bring this topic up, but perhaps as a child, you were abused. And because of that, you wrestle with relationships even today. Perhaps you had a bad experience uh, in a situation with an employee and employer relationship and you had a bad boss and therefore all bosses are bad. See, all of us have situations where we would probably say, God, get them. We, we don't want to go send judgment on them because what if God relents and says, no, I'm going to stand mercy and grace. But let me remind you that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There is none righteous. No, not one. In Romans 5, 8, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We, in our own way against God, were the Ninevites. And God extended His grace to us and forgave us. Jonah couldn't handle it. So the Bible says, in verse number 3, Jonah got up to flee to Tarshish from the Lord's presence. Now, now Tarshish, it, on, the, on the map, here would be Nineveh, and as far, I believe it's west as you could go, would be Tarshish. Jonah was going as far as he could away from where God wanted him to go. He was not only running, he was running fast, he was running far to get away from what God wanted him to do. I'm going to give you a little tidbit here. You can't get where God's not. Come on now. You can't get. Listen, I'm glad, first off, I'm glad when it came to me being a sinner before I met Jesus Christ, 
I'm glad for the hound of heaven. I'm glad for the hound of heaven who said, Dwayne, I'm going to seek you and seek you and seek you and seek you and seek you because, Dwayne, I love you and I want to forgive your sins. And I want to report to you today, if you're the kind of person today who finds yourself fleeing from God, you're a believer, but you're fleeing from the will of God. You're fleeing from the Word of God. You're fleeing from godliness. The hound of heaven is on your tail. And He is not going to let you get away. Listen to this. This is Psalm 139, 7-12. Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. If I take wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. Surely the darkness shall follow me. Even the night shall be lightened about me. Indeed, the darkness shall not hide from you, but the night shines as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to you. You can't run from God. You can't run fast enough, and you can't run far enough, and you can't hide deep enough to get away from the God who seeks and the God who loves you. So Nineveh goes, or excuse me, Jonah gets up and runs away from Nineveh in the opposite direction to Tarshish. Now, there's some symbolism here. Say symbolism. Understand what I'm about to say is not necessarily the Scripture supported. It's just some catchy words that really illustrate what happens when you run from God. For instance, look at this. The Bible says, however, Jonah got up to flee to Tarshish from the Lord's presence. He went down to Joppa. Say down. Down. Okay. And found a ship going to Tarshish. He paid the fare. Say paid the fare. And went down into it. Y'all getting weak on me. Okay, down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the Lord's presence. And eventually they're going to throw Jonah down into the sea. Say, down into the sea. He's going into the belly, down into the belly of a fish. Come on. Down into the belly of a fish. My point is this. Only symbolically, that when you are running from God, there's only one way and it's down. Now listen, you've got to get this, church. Somewhere, somehow, so many of you have been convinced that a little bit of obedience, a little bit of this, a little bit of that is okay. It's all God requires, and you can have a full, abundant life. Listen, if you are going from God and disobeying His Word, you are missing out God's best on you. I do not preach what I preach. I do not say what I say, just so God can keep His, His rules. This book is a life-giving book. It's an abundant life book. And when we live in the, in the obedience of this book, we find the joy and the happiness that God wants to give us. That's why this is important. So, so symbolically, we see that Jonah is going down. He paid the fare. Sin will always take you further than you want to go. Make you stay longer than you want to stay. When you decide to run from God, it's expensive. Come on, say, it's expensive. Alright, so you got that? That's the setup. Now... Move on down a little bit further. Look at verse number 4 through 5. Oh, I better give you the wrong way. Ah, I'm half sick today, so excuse me if I'm scatterbrained. Write down this wrong way. Write this down. You know you're going the wrong way when you're crossways with God. You know you're going the wrong way when you're crossways with God. When your life is out of sync with this book, you're going the wrong way. You are crossways with God. You got that? 
When, the, when your life is not in sync with this book, you are crossways with God. And when you're crossways with God, you're always going the wrong way. Now, I want you to get this. You say, well, Dwayne, I go to church three times a week. Glad you do. You may not be running from God. God may not have sent you to Nineveh. You may not be sleeping around. You may not be an addict. You may not be a drunk. You may not be addicted to porn. But I want to show you this. I keep going back to that list we showed several weeks ago, a couple weeks ago, about sin, about lying and gossip and envy and jealousy and cheating. Do you understand that those are sins? And do you understand that when you do those sins and you don't repent of those sins, you are crossways with God? And do you understand when you're crossways with God, you're going the wrong way? you understand why, why some of you that going to church is a drag? you understand why for some of you there's no joy in your Christian faith? Do you understand why some of you just don't get it as far as God goes? You're a Christian, you're a believer, but there's no joy. Because you're crossways with God and you're going the wrong way. And you're assuming because there's no atomic bombs in your life that God just sort of winks at the little ones and goes, It's okay with me. Big flash. It's not. It's not. That's why I said, I'm a Jonah and you're a Jonah. If you're sitting here today and you've got hatred for a brother in this building, you're running from God. And you're going the wrong way. If today somewhere in that foyer out there, you said a gospel word about a brother or sister, guess what? You're crossways with God and you're going the wrong way. If you're mad at your neighbor today, you can't stand your neighbor because his dogs keep doing his business in your yard. Guess what? You're going, you're going the wrong way and you're crossways with God. Can I have an amen? See, I'm trying, I'm trying to make, I'm, I want to bring this home to you. Because if God's going to send revival, and if we're going to see redemption in, a, in America, if we're going to see America turn around, the church has got to get serious about sin and stop running from God and stop being crossways with God and start doing what God wants us to do. And the reason that's important, if you're wondering, if you have a young child, look at that young child, their future depends on it. If you're an older person like me, and you've got grandkids, take a look at your grandkids. Their future depends on it. That's why this is so huge and important. Not to mention, it involves God. Alright. Now the Bible says this. Then the Lord hurled... I love this is the uh, Holman Christian Standard. The Lord hurled a violent wind on the sea. And such a violent storm arose on the sea that the ship threatened to break apart. The sailors were afraid. Now, i got to pause there. If you're on a boat and you're in a storm and the sailors are afraid, watch out. When the experts are afraid, watch out. When you look up and the captain's knees are doing this, oh, shoot that thing. Are you understanding the situation? This is a storm of biblical, literally, biblical proportions. All right? So they're afraid. And each cried out to his own God. They threw the ship's cargo. Now, when people start caring about their lives more than they care about money, it's big. Come on now. We love that dollars. When you start saying, who cares about the cargo? Throw it overboard. You know it's a storm of biblical proportions. They threw the ship's cargo into the sea to lighten the load. Meanwhile, Jonah had gone down to the lowest part of the vessel and had stretched out and had fallen into a deep sleep. Okay. You know you're going the wrong way 
when unexplained and unusual storms pop up into your life. Now, I'm going to say several things here. I want you to be sure and get this. Look what the Bible says. The Lord hurled a violent wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose on the sea that the ship threatened to break apart. God is in control. God is in control. God's the, God's the ultimate weather channel. He not only forecasts the weather, He causes it to happen. Come on now. Now watch this though. Stay with me. God not only controls the weather and storms, sometimes He is the instigator of that storm. You can't... You, I don't care what translation you got. You can't get around the fact that God churned up this storm for this man's life. And when we're running from God, God sometimes uses storms to get our attention. So if you've got a storm in your life of biblical proportions, I'm simply saying this, you might want to take a look and evaluate and see, is it instituted from God because you are running from God. You're crossways with God. Now, this is not a message about storms. I preach about that periodically because we all go through them. We've learned that some storms come up in life because we live in an imperfect world with imperfect bodies. The bottom line doesn't mean God's not in control. God's in control. But we live in an imperfect world. And there are things that happen in an imperfect world. But God sometimes implements instigates storms for the purpose of correction. But not all storms are for correction. Some are for your edification. Some are for you to become more like Christ. We don't like it because we think God should give us everyday sunshiny days and everything we want. But God is more interested in our holiness than our happiness And sometimes He sends storms so we'll learn to trust Him because His ultimate goal for us is to bring glory to His name and to make us more like Jesus. And I'm going to tell you something. You're not going to like it. That's okay. But I'm telling you, we don't become more like Jesus when every day the sun shines. We become more like Jesus in the midst of a great storm and we have to depend and lean on God. Not every storm is instigated by God. Some are allowed, but instigated by Satan. Let me read to you from Mark chapter 4. It's not too long, but it's a good story. On the same day, when evening had come, he said to them, let us cross over to the other side, he being Jesus. Now when they had left the multitude, they took him along in the boat as he was, and other little boats also were with them. A great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat so that it was already filling. He was in the stern, asleep on a pillow, and they woke him and said, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? He arose, he rebuked, I love that, I wish I had time to preach this. He rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. Now he said to them, Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? And when they feared exceedingly and said to one another, Who can this be that even the wind and the sea obey him? It's Jesus, by the way. Come on. Now watch, watch, watch. Verse 5, chapter 5, verse 1. Then they came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gadareans. Now, 
Here we have Jesus teaching. They get into the boat and they're going to a stronghold of the evil one. Now, let me give you a little bit of a clue. Satan knows his goose is cooked. Satan, Satan knows something some of y'all are wrestling with. That Jesus is God and Jesus is bigger and more powerful than Satan. Some of y'all need to learn that lesson. Come on now. All right? So listen. He knows that. He knows that. So the last thing he wants is the Son of God to come into a stronghold of his, the land of Gadareans, and set a demon-possessed man free. The last thing he wants is God on the shore. So he does what he can. He stirs up a little windstorm. It's a little windstorm because the prince and master of the sea is in the boat and says, storm over. The best shot Satan can do wasn't enough. God wasn't the instigator. He allowed it. Satan was the instigator. But did God get glory from it? The boys, the boys had been following him go, what kind of guy is this? I mean, even the ones who walked with him were going, wow. So not every storm is instigated by God. But when a storm comes into your life, evaluate. Look. And maybe just a little squall. But say, God, you know, Paul, when he was preaching on Lord's Supper, he said, let a man examine himself. You know, the Bible teaches examination. Look, say, Father, if there's something in my life, now don't look for a devil behind every bush. But something comes along that you perceive as a storm. Say, Father, is there anything in my life that I need to learn from this? Is this from you that you're teaching me? Just evaluate and see if there's a storm. You might be going the wrong way if a an unusual, unexplained storm pops up in your life. Now, the reason this is so important is because a lot of us don't believe this. We, we, don't believe, we think life is just a bunch of circumstances and things happen, you know. We don't believe in the sovereignty of God, you know. That's evidence. Look what it says again. Can I read it again? Meanwhile, verse 5, middle part. Meanwhile, Jonah had gone down to the lowest part of the vessel, had stretched out and... Fall, fallen into a deep sleep. The guy who was supposed to learn from the storm is dead asleep. The guys who are just part of the boat are threatening. They're, they're bailing like crazy. And so often God sends these storms and the one who's supposed to get it don't. The only one who gets it is those around you. And they're going, what is going on? And we're going to find out. Read a little bit further. Now we're in verse number 6. The captain of the boat approached him and said, What are you doing sound asleep? Get up, call to your God, and may this, maybe this God will consider us and we won't perish. Come on, the sailors said to one another. Let's cast lots. Then we'll know who is to blame for this trouble we're in. So they cast lots. And the lot singled out Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us who is to blame for this trouble we're in. What is your business and where are you from? What is your country and what people are you from? He answered them, I'm a Hebrew. Why is it that preachers and Christians pick the worst time to tell people we're Christians? I'll never forget. I've got one speeding ticket in my life. And I was on my way to a revival. And I was a little bit late. The cop pulls me over. And the first thing in my mouth was, I'm a preacher. Keep your mouth shut, Taylor. Gosh, 
Nothing to brag about, okay? I am a Hebrew. A worship, I worship Yahweh, the God of the heavens, who made the sea and the dry land. Two wrong ways here I want you to write down. The first one is this. You might be going the wrong way. It's an indicator of the wrong way if your life is filled with apathy and not action. Apathy and not action. Frankly, can we just be candid? Can I be honest with you today? You're probably going the wrong way if all you think about is you. Come on now. You know the church exists for you. You hire the holy men to serve you. If, if, if your life isn't right, then why isn't it because it concerns you? If, if, if you don't get everything you want, you get mad. Come on now. Apathy. It amazes me. It amazes me how that 1.7 billion people in the world are dying and going to hell who have never heard about the name of Jesus and we're concerned that the sanctuary is two degrees warm or two degrees cold. I said it before and I'm going to say it again. You know, if you look at our sign, it does not say Dorisville Country Club. If you want a country club, it's located over on Country Club Hills and you pay dues there and they'll serve you. This is God's church. And we are here to be servants of God and servants of people for the Almighty God. You might be going the wrong way if instead of action, it's all about you. It's my world that matters. If I'm not happy, then that's all that matters. I've got to be happy. The second wrong way that you might want to be concerned about is, is when the world points a finger and they're right. When the world points a finger and they're right. We're all mad at the world because they're down on us. Well, a lot of the reason they're down on us is because we say one thing and do another. We talk about how we're supposed to love one another. Then we go to McDonald's and talk about one another. Come on now. We, we say we believe in this and we turn around and do that. And the world points the finger and says, something's wrong. Y'all say, y'all say, y'all believe this book. But y'all don't live that book. And we think the world's just silly and they don't get it. Oh, they get it. Oh, they get it. So you might be going the wrong way if people in your job are pointing their finger at you saying, I thought you said you was a Christian. If you ever had somebody come up and say, I thought you said you was a deacon... And you talk like that? I thought you was a deacon and you listen to jokes like that? You go to work and brag what movie you went to see and you saw 14 naked women and then you try to win that person to Jesus? Now listen, I'm not a legalist. But I just happen to believe a little bit of holiness. I just believe a little bit of holiness. I think, I think we ought not to give the world... Now listen, the world... Listen, now, this is profound. Are you ready? Are you ready? The world is always going to chuck rocks at the church. Just don't put the rocks in their hand. They're going to chuck rocks. They don't like holiness. They don't understand holiness. They don't understand God. Just don't hand them a rock and say, Would you mind hitting me in the face with it? And every time we do spiritually stupid things and give the world the rocks and they chuck them, we get mad. How crazy is that? Oh, Jonah says, well, 
I'll tell you what the story is. I'm a Hebrew. I worship Yahweh God. And by the way, Yahweh God, he's the one who made the sea. And all of a sudden, lights are going off in the kid's brain. The guy's brains are going, well, no wonder in deep ways. The creator of the sea is the one stirring this mess up. And it's because of you. All right, how incredible. Let's read a little bit further. Verse number 10. Then the men were even more afraid and said to him, What is this you've done? The men knew he was fleeing from the Lord's presence because he had told them. I like that. When we go to, uh, I bet Nicaragua too, Brent. But when we go to uh, like Mali or, or Niger, it always says on their little entrance form, Purpose of Travel. Now, i got to tell you, we don't put on there that we're going to tell people about Jesus. We put, I'm a teacher, which I am. I put teacher. A leisure. <laughs> we always laugh because there's a place that says leisure vacation, and we check it. <laughs> Who goes to Niger for leisure or vacation? It's like the world's largest beach without any water. I mean, poor. You know, I'm going to check that one down. Mr. Jonah, uh, what's the purpose of your travel? I'm running from God. I bet that went over like a lead balloon. Said, yeah, right. So are we all, man. You come on, welcome aboard. We're all running from God. We're a bunch of God runners. Come on, put that down. So they were afraid. They said, so why, you know, what are you doing? It's because you're running from God. Verse 11. So they said to him, what should we do to you to calm this sea that's against us? For the sea was getting worse and worse. He answered them, pick me up and throw me into the sea so they may quiet down for you. For I know that I'm to blame for this violent storm that is against you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to the dry land, and they couldn't because the sea was raging against them more and more. Now, here's, here's a sad state of affairs. Jonah tells them, if you'll chuck me overboard. Now, y'all know what chucking is, don't you? Throwing, chucking. If you'll chuck me overboard, things will get better. It's a sad state of affairs when chucking the Christian out of the boat makes things better. It's a sad state of affairs when absence is better than presence. It's a sad state of affairs in America, it wouldn't be better if some churches just closed their doors. Well, Dwayne, that's awful, awful crash of you. Not when they're preaching same-sex marriage is all right. Not when their pastor stand up and says there's nothing wrong with homosexuality. Not when they stand up and say adultery is fine. Whatever you want to do, God understands. Those kind of churches would be better off closed. They send such a conflicting message to our society, they don't know what to believe. We need to get to a point where this church, where we're going to start, this church has such a reputation in Harrisburg that they would miss us if we closed our doors. Not just because we give away school supplies, but that our integrity is so intact, our lives are so intact, our lives are so holy that they can't find a rock to pick up. And if we were to close our doors, that there would be an absence of holiness in Harrisburg. Not so we can boast, but for the glory and the kingdom of God. The second part is this. Verse 13 is the, the, the wrong way part. Let me read to you again. 
Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry ground, but they couldn't because the sea was raging against them more and more. You might be going the wrong way if the world is more moral and more noble than you are. You might be going the wrong way if the world is more noble and more moral than you are. Now, he's already said, John said, well, what should we do? Chuck me overboard. What'd they do? Grab him! No. They said, no, we're not going to do that. We roll harder to try to save the man's life who has admitted the storm is his fault. The men on the boat who are carnal, pagan, heathens were better than the man of God. If you live a life and the world's more moral than you are, something's wrong. You might be going the wrong way. If you live in a world, your world, where there's more integrity in a lost man's life than your life, you just might be going the wrong way. If there's a man at work, a woman at work, and they've got far more character than you do, you might just be going the wrong way. What does that look like? Well, a couple of things. It looks like this. My daughter, for a very brief spell, uh, Jennifer, by the way, worked at Applebee's about six, seven, eight years ago. And she came home. Here's what she said. Daddy, do you know who gives the smallest tips and are the meanest to me? I said, who? The church crowd. The same ones probably, by the way, that just thought your door should be working at Applebee's, eat there. I thought I'd get an amen there. I asked other waitresses. Have I not? And they all tell me the same thing. The meanest people are the church crowd. They'll leave a five cent tip on the table and think they've done the lady a great favor. When the, by the way, you know who the biggest tippers are? The drunks. The alcoholics. The, the guys going over the big drink bills. They give the most generously. They're the most kind. There's something wrong, folks. And when the world is more moral, more noble than we are, there's something really wrong. That was the light side. Here's the heavy side. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse number 1. Let me just read it to you. Paul right now, by the way, Corinth was a lot like America. It was a very secular country at that time. Um, it was very sexually oriented culture, worship a lot of false gods, a lot of, you know, God wasn't big there. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you. And such sexual immorality as is not even named among the Gentiles that a man has his father's wife. Paul says, I got a report and it wasn't just that there was an affair going on in the church. 
but that the affair involved a son, at best, a son and a stepmother, possibly a son and a mother. Now, the reason I say that is this, because it's so bad that's not even named among the Gentiles. Even the world went, ooh, that's bad. And where was it going on? Where was it going on? At the church. The church. I'm just saying you might be going the wrong way when the world standard's here and yours is here. You just might be going the wrong way. So then, then God's Word gives us a great summary statement of all of this. Verse number 14. So they called out to the Lord. Now these are pagans. They called out to the Lord. Please, Yahweh, don't let us perish because of this man's life. They were so worried that this God would hold them accountable for the death of Jonah. And they're pagans. That's incredible. Don't charge us with innocent blood. For you, Yahweh, have done just as you please. Time out. Even the pagans understood the sovereignty of God. They understood that He was God and they were not. He was the Creator and they were the created. They understood that. And they were pagans. You've done just as you pleased. Then they picked up Jonah, threw him into the sea, and the sea stopped its raging. Now watch the cause and effect. They threw it over. The cause, was, was, the, cause of the storm was not there. The sea stopped raging. The men feared the Lord even more, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. Wow. How incredible is that? Through all of this, God receives this incredible glory. And that's really encouraging. But sadly, it's the pagans that are giving glory to God and not the man of God. That's reversed. It's backwards. So I want to challenge you today. Is there any area in your life? Remember, I'm Jonah and you're Jonah. Say, I'm Jonah. You're Jonah. So we're all included here. We're all Jonas. Okay? So are there any areas in your life when you might be crossways with God? I didn't say this earlier. Can I say it now? In case you're wondering, is a storm, okay, is a storm corrective? Is a storm instigated by God for the corrective purpose? All you have to do is say, am I crossways with God? If there's an area in your life for crossways, that storm might be for the purpose of correction. So is there any area of your life that you might be going the wrong way? I've got five questions for you, and they're going to be done. First is this. Are you crossways with God? As a follower of Jesus... Now, if you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, I know as church talk, if you've never asked God to forgive your sins through this blessed cross up here, the Christ of the cross, you are crossways with God. But the good news is God loves you and God wants to forgive you. Brent will be standing down front here in just a minute. Come and say, hey, I am crossways with God. I need forgiveness of sins. And boy, we'll tell you all about our best friend Jesus. But as believers now, all of us who have trusted Christ, are we crossways with God? Is there some area of your life Big, if, I'm going to use these terms for your, your benefit. Big sins or what we call little sins. 
Is it the atomic bombs or is it the hand grenades? But are there errors in your life that you consistently are crossways with God? God wants you to deal with that even today. Number two. Are there circumstances in your life that call for an evaluation and possible action? Are there circumstances in your life that call for evaluation and possible action? Is something so going on in your life, either in your heart or in your life, there are circumstances that are so crazy, you're saying, wait a minute, is God trying to get my attention? Because I'm crossways with Him, is this a storm of correction? Okay? Is there that kind of storm going on in your life? Number three. Is your life marked by apathy or action? Are words? Are you more worried about you than others? Do you believe the church exists for you and not for them and him? Is your life marked by apathy than action? Is it you focused or God and them focused? Number four. Does your lifestyle give reason for the world to turn to Christ or point a finger and accuse? Does your lifestyle give reason to, for the world to point a finger and accuse? Or does it point them to Jesus Christ? And lastly, this. Is there any area in your life where the world is more noble and more moral than you? Is there any in your life where the world is more moral or more noble than you. The call today, the altar call today, is with those five questions as your guide, what do you need to do? Now, we really need to identify the Jonah. I am Jonah. You are Jonah. In those five areas, what do you need to do today? What do you need to tell God about today? Okay, the great news is God loves us. God waits if there's forgiveness needed. He'll forgive us. He even gives us His Holy Spirit to empower us. The only thing that really doesn't, God doesn't like is this apathy thing. When we walk in this door and God's Word speaks to our hearts and we walk out the same way, you're asking for a storm. I'm as candid as I can be. You're just asking for a storm. God has given us this message today not just to hear, but to act upon And God knows what you need to do. I don't need to tell you. What do you need to do in those five areas of your life? And again, if you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, today is that day. Today is that opportunity. I know that's not enough for you to go, oh, yeah, sure, that's what I want to do. All I can tell you is this. For me, it happened 36 years ago. I was in church. I was religious until I stunk. But I'd never been forgiven my sins. I was a religious person, but I didn't know Jesus. And one day God got a hold of my life. He showed me that I needed to ask for forgiveness through His Son, Jesus Christ, through an old rugged cross, and God forgave my sins. I didn't become perfect. No one does. But I did get forgiven that day. And He put me on a journey with Him that will last until I breathe my last breath. And if that's something that God's speaking to your heart about, Brother Brent would be glad to tell you about God's amazing grace today. There's nothing you've done, there's nothing you have done to discount God's grace and His ability to forgive you. Isn't that good news? It really is. Let's pray. Well, Father, thank you for your word. I pray, Father, it's pierced our hearts today like a two-edged sword that it is. Father, that apathy word scares me. In what areas of my life am I so worried about me and not worried about you or others? 
Father, I thank you for this church. And very clearly, we got some things going on the right way. We see that, Father, through our ministries and their actions, the disaster relief. Thank you for those things. But God, I'm also wise enough to know this, that we have not arrived and we're not there. So speak to our hearts, corporately as a church family, but more importantly, individually as believers. Holy Spirit, no pastor could or should, through emotion, cause a person to act. I am asking the Holy Spirit, you Holy Spirit, to stir our hearts, break our hearts where necessary, and cause us to act. Give us boldness, Father, to face this thing in the mirror. Give us boldness, Lord. Father, don't let us walk out that door the same way we came in. Rather, God, begin a change in our hearts even today. And I pray it in your most powerful and precious name, Jesus. Amen.